Well, we continue today a series entitled Defining Moments. We, have all, we all have defining moments in our lives. Uh, whether to go graduate high school or not, that's a defining moment. It's a decision that's important. Most of you, that's a given. You will graduate high school. And then if you graduate high school, whether to go to college. Some of you should go. Some of you maybe it would be better for you to enter the workforce, not because you're not college material, but maybe because that's the course that you should take. Those are defining moments. How do you decide those things? Big questions, big choices in life. I chose to go to Mount Vernon Nazarene College. I felt the Lord leading me there. And, of course, because I went to Mount Vernon Nazarene College, that's where I fell in love with my wife, Debbie. And uh, that choice of a college was a defining moment. I would have never met Debbie if I wasn't obedient to God's leading at that time. And then, of course, a defining moment was the decision to marry Debbie. And this May 19th, we will have been married 33 years. And so we're excited about that. Defining moments. And yet the most significant defining moment in my life is that moment when I decided to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to look at John chapter 21, verse 1. John chapter 21, verse 1. How many of you brought your Bibles with you today? Let me see those Bibles all around the room. I see those electric Bibles just kind of glowing there. John 21, verse 1. Peter had an encounter with Jesus that was a defining moment for him. John 21, verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now, you may remember that when Jesus, after after the resurrection, that verse Sunday morning after the resurrection, who was the first person that had an encounter with Jesus? Does anybody remember? Mary Magdalene, that's right. And Mary Magdalene, when she had this encounter with Jesus, she she wasn't the first one to run to the tomb, but she did have this encounter with Jesus. When she had this encounter with Jesus, Jesus said, go and tell the disciples. And then she singled out Peter. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that I will see them in Galilee. Well, that night, of course, that first night after the resurrection, the the disciples were behind closed doors there in Jerusalem, afraid for their own lives, and Jesus just shows up and appears among them. And he reaches out his hands and he says, Peace be unto you. And then he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he gives to each of us this same commission. Well, the following Sunday night, that second Sunday night after the resurrection, the disciples were once again there in Jerusalem behind closed doors because they were afraid for their lives. And again, Jesus appears before them and says, Peace, peace be with you. Well, Thomas was with them this second time. And, of course, you remember Thomas, he had his doubts. And so Jesus said, Hey, Thomas, put your hands right here. Touch my wounds. Put your hand in my side. And Thomas's response was, my Lord and my God. Well, that next morning, that would have been Monday, after the Sunday, second Sunday after the resurrection, I would imagine the disciples gathered up their family and their friends, and they began to make the journey towards the Sea of Galilee. Because remember what Mary said? Mary Magdalene, she said, tell the disciples and Peter, I will see them in Galilee. And so they would make the 100-mile trip, to Galilee. It would probably take them about five days to make this trip. 
which meant they would have probably arrived around Friday afternoon. Now, that evening would have been the Sabbath. And so when sunset came, they would have worshipped the Sabbath until the next day. So most likely they would have spent time together as followers of Christ, worshipping the Sabbath. And then, then that next morning, or a few days later, we don't really know how much time elapsed from the time of the encounter with Jesus that second Sunday evening to the time of the encounter with Peter. But I I see Peter walking up and down the Sea of Galilee, pondering all these things. I I see him wondering, didn't Jesus say he was going to be here? Where's Jesus? What are we supposed to do? What is our purpose? What do we do now? I I see him picking up a stone and crossing across the, the water and watching it skip. And I remember... Thinking him, I, I can only imagine him thinking about all that he'd gone through, the triumphal entry, and how excited they were. This Jesus, their king, was going to become an earthly king. And the people were shouting, Hosanna, 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 blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet, just a few days later, they would be crying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus, Peter, had been on this roller coaster experience. And I think that he must have been thinking about all that had gone on, all that had transpired in those days. I imagine Peter, he must have had a million questions. Uncertainty must have abounded. What will become of us? What are we to do next? Where is Jesus anyway? Why why am I here? What is my purpose where am i going you see these are questions that we have all pondered and we continue to ponder in life and peter was asking these fundamental questions questions that you have been asking for generations finally peter thinking about all these things just kind of result uh, reverts back to the default For his life, and that is to go fishing. You see, we do that. When we're not real sure what to do, we do that which is familiar. This past Wednesday night, I I just I just needed to be in the hospitals. It's one of my favorite things to do is to call on people and to care for people. It's a default for me. It's probably like fishing for Peter. So Peter says, Let's go fishing. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing, the Scripture tells us. Then verse 4, early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they cried. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did... They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, 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 it's the Lord. Immediately, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water. 
Now, we really don't know why Peter took his garment and wrapped it around him. If, if you're already stripped down to your skivvies and you're going to go swimming, you might as well just stay in your skivvies, right? But he wrapped his outer garment around him. And we're not sure. It may have been because, well, he was going to go greet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and Jewish, Jewish tradition would require that if you greet a rabbi that you put on your outer garment. But what's interesting to me is here was Peter who denied Jesus three times. And yet there's not a hint of hesitation. Immediately, he's up out of the boat, wraps, grabs his cloak, and dives into the water to greet Jesus. How often, how often do we deal with our guilt, our denial? And we allow Satan to keep us from diving into the water. You see, Jesus is there to embrace us, to help us, to encourage us, to to walk us on this journey of faith. To stay in the faith. To restore us. In this life, you're going to struggle. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Every single teen should know that scripture. Write it down. 1 John 1, 9. But this is the one you need to remember. 2, 1. But if you do sin, we have an advocate who speaks to the Father in our defense. You know what that meant to me as a teenager? That meant that Jesus Christ understood my humanity. And he was in this thing with me. When I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord, he was going to walk with me on this journey. And if you do sin, we have an advocate who speaks to the Father in our defense. Peter, he didn't hesitate. When you fail, don't hesitate. How many of us, when we fail, our first response is to hesitate? You know, I wondered why. Why didn't he hesitate? Was it because he understood the depth of the Savior's love? Over those three plus years, he'd walked with Jesus. And when he saw the Messiah and he realized it was him, are you hesitating today? Is there anything that's keeping you from being the person of God that he's called you to be? Are you hesitating today? If you're hesitating, I want to encourage you to dive into the water and swim to Jesus. Swim to Jesus. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The word Jesus used for love is that word agape. It it describes God's infinite love for us. It's the characteristic of God's love for mankind. But Peter's response, in his response, he uses the word filio, which is for a friend or For an affection for someone else. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. You know that I love you like a friend. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
A second time, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me, agape love? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know that I'm your friend. That I love you like a brother, man. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Jesus pressed him a third time. Only this time, Jesus used Peter's word. In essence, saying, Simon, son of John, do you really love me? like a friend and Simon responded he was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time do you love me and he said Lord you know all things and you know that I love you Peter was saying Lord you know my failure you know that I denied you three times but you know that I love you You know, I can't bring myself to use that word agape that you used because I failed you. But you have never failed me. And Lord, you know that I love you. I'm unworthy of your love and your grace, but I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus was saying, To Peter, I know that you denied me three times, but three times I want to forgive you and offer my grace and my strength. And I want to call you to accept that great commission. And I want to challenge you to feed my lambs. I I see him looking around at the other disciples and saying, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. So how do we do that? On that first Sunday night after the resurrection, when Jesus appeared there, he said to the disciples, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. To Peter that day, he said, Feed my lambs. How do we do that? Well, they began to tell the stories of Jesus. They were, of course, filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and and the Holy Spirit led them as they began to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But the default is really the Sermon on the Mount. I imagine they probably went back to the Sermon on the Mount many times. For in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught a different way of living. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And then he sums it up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, with these words. You. You are the salt of the earth. You see, salt was a preservative. Of course, at that time, they they had no refrigeration. And, of course, what happens if you take meat and you leave it outside? It rots. It stinks. And Jesus is saying salt is a preservative. You are the preservatives of the earth. If you do not preserve, the earth rots. If you do not preserve, culture stinks. If you do not preserve, our world falls apart. You are the salt of the earth. And Jesus calls each of us to be the salt of the earth, a preservative. So he says to this audience, if you do not preserve, the world rots and stinks. We have to understand, imagine the world that he was speaking into. He was speaking to a world where might made right. Where might 
made right. Where moral issues weren't really moral issues. Where ethical issues weren't really ethical issues. It was who had the biggest sword. Who had the most power. Women had no rights. Children had fewer rights. Mercy, compassion, and generosity were not virtues. Those were for the weak. Theirs is a world that it's hard for us to imagine. What we can't appreciate in our Western culture, what we can't appreciate fully as Americans is this, that much of what we appreciate as common human decency, what we assume as common courtesy, is not and was not common in Jesus' day. But Jesus said to his followers, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus said to Peter that day, Feed my lambs. And they took seriously the call of God upon their lives. And they began to live out what it means to be salt in their world. And because of this salt, we reflect a Judeo-Christian ethic that that goes deep within our culture today. Our culture reflects these fundamental values that Jesus taught, and it is spread around the world because the disciples of Christ took seriously the call of God upon their lives to be salt, preservatives to their world. If we are not preservatives, our world rots. If we are not preservatives... Our world stinks. We can't imagine a world in which we treat women like property with no value whatsoever. It's hard for us to imagine a world where children are not precious. It's hard for us to imagine a world where slavery is accepted today. Oh, we know it wasn't that long ago that even in the United States that we participated in slavery. But thank goodness for the the national conscience and the Christian ethic that ended this abomination in our world. You see, when someone is generous and they give help to someone in need, why is it that we say it's good instead of weak? Why do we think that compassion is good instead of weak? Why do we applaud Mercy. You see, it's this reflection of a worldview where we believe that there is one true God. And one day he will hold us accountable for our actions. And every single one of us has been called to be salt in our world. We are called to be preservatives. We are to reflect the image of God in our world. You see, God loves us. And because God loves us, We are called to love one another. He loves us all. Red and yellow, black and white, we are all precious in His sight. Jesus loves the precious children. He loves women. He loves men. He loves us all. You see, there's this underlying belief system that came about ultimately because of Judaism was expounded on because of the teaching of Jesus That God loves us. And because of his love, our world has been forever changed. And today we celebrate mercy and justice and grace as virtues.
And Jesus said, look, you have no standing to those who are there and that listening to that Sermon on the Mount. You have no standing, but you, you are the last stand. You have no political standing. You have no financial standing. You have no clout, but you, you are the last stand. And if you aren't the salt of the earth, the earth rusts. If you aren't, rust. If you aren't the salt of the earth, the earth rots. If you aren't the salt of the earth, the earth stinks. You see, we are called to be preservatives of God's kingdom. To share this good news of Jesus Christ with our world. When Jesus knelt and he said, I want to teach you how to pray. He knelt there and the first words were, our father. And we begin to grasp the reality that God is our father. And all of a sudden that we are his children, heirs of a kingdom. It changes who we are. We begin to grasp the depth of God's love for us and we are loved. And we can risk loving the world around us. Suddenly, I have value. I have worth. I better take care of those around me. I better treat you the way that God would have me to treat you because I am an instrument of God. I have been called to be salt in the world. So Jesus gathered his disciples and he said, This, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. You see, we can love one another because we understand God's love for us. It's not always easy, but it's our responsibility. We are called to be salt, the salt of the earth. We are called to be the preservers of the earth. If we do not preserve, the earth rots. If we do not preserve, the earth stinks. Values fall apart. Don't take this for granted. Society is desperate for a church that will stand up and be the church. Society is desperate for a people who will be the people of God. Society is desperate for a people who will live out their faith and not just read it and walk away, but will look at the Word of God and live by it. If you look at the Word of God and walk away, it's like you look in a mirror and you forgot what you look like. Help us to be salt. Help us to be light in our world. Our society is desperate for a people, for the church, the people of God to stand up and to live by biblical principles. That means you're going to have to make choices that are contrary to the world's choices. You're going to live a different way than the world lives. You're going to choose a higher road based upon biblical principles and live a life of godly standards. Don't compromise. Don't give in. Don't listen to the foolishness of this world. Be led by the word of God as you live out your life and as you're salt in this world. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, you are the light of the world. Many of us say, well, I don't really want to be light of the world. I just want to pray that magic prayer. I want to pray, Lord, accept me as your Savior and Lord, and then I want to just live my life, raise my family, die, and go to heaven. But Jesus says we are to be the light of the world. 
You know what's interesting to me? The world back then in Jesus' day was very small. We think nothing of traveling 15 miles. Many of you traveled further than that just to get to church today. And yet for many people in that day to travel 15 miles was a big deal. It was unusual to travel 100 miles like they did from Jerusalem to Galilee. That was an exception. When you think about it, North and South America were not even thought of. There were continents that did not even know that they did not even knew, know existed. And yet today, on every continent across the world, there are churches today. Why? Because a little group of people took seriously the words of Christ when he said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Peter took seriously the call of God upon his life, Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And God calls us to be salt and light in our world. The scripture says a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now this word built is probably better translated placed on a hill cannot be hidden. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And you have been strategically placed to be salt and light in the world. You see, if you're not salt, if you're not light, our world rots. Verse 15 says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. And here's what we read next. Here's the way that we often read this scripture. scripture. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good church attendance. And say, wow. No, that's not what the scripture says. That they may see, what? That your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, we're called to be salt. We're called to be light in our world. We are called to be a reflection of Christ. That happens as we're obedient to his truth. As we live out our faith according to his words. Jesus is saying, I want you to live your life in such a way that when people see your life, they see my glory in your life. They see your good deeds and they begin to connect the dots between a relationship with God and mercy and grace and generosity and compassion. They begin to connect the dots between your lifestyle and your heavenly Father. Be preservers and be a light to your world. Fathers, I want to encourage you to live your life in such a way that you make clear, godly choices. That you bring glory to the Father by living according to His Word. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Model for your children what it means to be a seeker of the truth. Mothers, I want to encourage you 
Listen. Spend time in the Word. Love God deeply. Love your spouse sincerely. You know, the best thing you can offer your family is a strong relationship with each other. And that happens as we begin to become obedient to the Word of God. Follow the Word. Be salt and light in your world. You see, if the family of God, if the people of God, don't allow the Word of God to permeate their lives in such a way that the world doesn't see Christ, our world begins to rot and society begins to fall apart. If you're a follower of Jesus, I, I know that there's one thing. There's my Bible falling apart. Time to get a new Bible. <laughs> I know that there's one thing that you have in common, and that is this. Even though I've never heard many of your stories, I bet in every one of your lives there was somebody in your life who was salt and light to you. When I was a freshman in college, Billy Murray was one of my best friends. There was three of us, Brian White, Billy Murray, and myself. We were like the three musketeers. And I would go to his house, and, and his mom, she was just full of energy. She loved the Lord. They had this little 900-square-foot home. It was full of stuff, trinkets, and that little yappy dog that ran through the house. And, and, but Tom and Wilda Murray loved the Lord. And they modeled for me. God's, God's love and God's grace. And they were salt and light for me. We have been called to be salt and light to our world. We're going to close with a song. Yes, Jesus loves me. And Pastor Edgar is going to lead us in just a minute. And you may be thinking, you know, Rex, I have no standing. I'm just a freshman in high school. Beginning of the year, I couldn't even find my locker. I'm a nobody. Nobody knows me. I have no standing. You may be a college student and you, you think, you know, I can't even find my way around campus. Nobody knows me. I have no standing. Those people that, when Jesus preached that Sermon on the Mount, they had no standing. They had no political clout, no financial authority. But Jesus said, I know you have no standing. But unless you take a stand, the world rots. And I want to challenge you to be salt and light to the world. You see, we've all been called. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That's the charge for you. It's the charge for me. I wanted to close with, yes, Jesus loves me. Because I think when we begin to grasp the song, how much he loves us. We find a resource to love one another, a strength to love, and to be salt and light in our world. Let's sing that song together.